when I was in high school, I had a dream job in mind. My dream job was to be a high school math and physics teacher and coach basketball. When I was in middle school, I had one of those amazing teachers. He was my science and math teacher, but he was also my basketball coach. And he developed a lot of loves in my life. I was actually one of those kind of nerdy kids that would come in during his uh, free time and my buddies and I would learn some stuff around math and physics that he wasn't actually teaching uh, the whole of the class. And he was my basketball coach and he always gave me these drills to work on to get better at basketball. I loved math and science, and I loved basketball. I was also that kid that would shovel the walk, shovel the driveway, and be out there with his gloves playing basketball when it's freezing in eastern Montana. I wanted to be a math and physics teacher and a basketball coach. As my senior year approached, something that every one of the seniors did is they had a a sit-down meeting with our guidance counselor. And the purpose of that meeting was just to talk a little bit about what our plans were so that he could help us in any way that he could for our future plans. I told him that my dream, what I wanted to do was be a high school math and physics teacher and coach basketball. I remember him kind of wheeling back in his chair and he reached across his desk and he pulled out this little catalog and he started to look through the catalog and he got to a page on there and he turned around and he held it in front of me and he said, Bob, I just want you to understand that this right here, this is the average starting salary for a secondary teacher in the state of Montana. And he takes the catalog back and he starts thumbing through it again, finds another page and turns it around to me and says, this is the starting salary for an electrical engineer. I wish I could remember what the difference in the numbers were. I don't remember the difference in the numbers, but I remember my response. I enrolled and I graduated in electrical engineering at Montana State University. But friends, there are so many times that I look back and I think about and reflect on that decision. Here's the conclusion that I came to when I look at my life. My heart and my passion could be bought. My heart and my passion could be bought. When he just like dangled money out there like you dangle keys in front of a little toddler and I made the biggest directional decision that I'd probably made in my entire life up until that point based strictly on money. My heart can be bought. My heart can be distracted by money. You know what I think is true? I don't think I'm alone. I think that same thing exists in every one of you as well. And if you don't think that that exists in you, I'm just gonna boldly say, I think you're probably deceived. And this is what I watch in the life of Jesus. He warned and he talked over and over again about our heart and money and how those things can be tied together and how we can be distracted by those things. Jesus talked about money far more than he talked about any other topic, and it's not even close. Listen to these simple statistics. Of the 38 parables that we have in the Gospels, 16 of those are about how do we deal and manage with money and possessions. The four Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, 288 verses in total, are about money and possessions. The Bible has 500 verses that talk about 
prayer, less than 500 that talk about faith, but more than 2,000 verses that talk about money and possessions. Jesus liked to talk about money. We don't like to talk about money. I don't like to talk about money. In fact, I know that this is probably happening in this room right now. Someone is like, I just got my friends to come to church for the very first time, and you're going to talk about money? No! Why don't you warn us? Because talking about money, let's just be honest, it can make us uncomfortable. Our defenses can start to go up. I absolutely understand and get that. But here's what I've been praying would be true of our time together. That we would just be able to, all of us here, just take a deep breath, just relax, and listen to the words of Jesus. Just allow his words, not, not my words, just allow his words to sink into our life and to sink into our spirit and respond and just ask ourselves, is there truth into the things that Jesus is talking about here? And because I know that sometimes that tension exists when churches talk about money, I want to give a couple of disclaimers here before we ever even get started. We are not talking about money because Journey is in a budget crisis. Journey is doing just fine financially. So you don't have to come up with me afterwards and say, are you guys hurting? No, we're not hurting And I want you to know that there's not going to be some kind of a manipulative ask when this is over. We've already received our offering. We are not going to pass the buckets again. I promise. There will be no big ask. And here's what I desperately want to be true. I want in this room right now that this would be what we would call a guilt and shame-free environment. That we wouldn't think about our finances and in any way that there would be any sense of guilt or shame around that. Because this is what I know to be true. God does not want to leverage guilt and shame in your life. He could if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. In fact, if we start to feel guilt and shame around things related to finance, it will actually put us in the wrong direction. Because God wants to invite us into a conversation with him. But when we feel guilt and shame, it causes us to want to distance ourselves from God. God doesn't want this. Guilt and shame-free environment. I'm going to just say it as boldly as I can. Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. He does not have a cash flow problem. He is not going to be out there trying to grab a hold of your money, even your George Costanza wallet. He's not trying to grab that, but this is what he's going to be relentless about. He's going to be relentless about not letting your money grab you because that's what he wants. He wants you, all of you. He wants your mind, your emotions, your will. He wants all of it. Everything that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, what it calls the heart, he wants that. He wants your heart. But he knows, just like I learned way back in high school, that there is a connection between our heart and our money that we've got to pay attention to if we're gonna be able to follow Jesus the way that he wants us to follow him. And so my desire in our time is that we would just start to have honest conversation about money 
A phrase that we've been using around this series is, I want us to think about letting the roof off in our relationship with God, just letting his truth shine into our life, but also living our life with the walls down in relationship to one another. Let's just talk honestly about these things. No guilt, no shame, but let's just talk honestly. And as we step into the Sermon on the Mount today, the next section that we're gonna be looking at, Jesus uses three metaphors to talk to us about money. And these metaphors raise three questions that we've got to answer. The questions are this, where is my treasure? Are my eyes blinded? And who is my master? First question, where is my treasure? Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 19. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them where thieves break in and steal. He says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the clincher. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is saying it just so plainly. Our heart is, is connected to our treasures. We can't ignore that. But when he's talking here in this section, he's talking about treasures. He's talking about more than just possessions. He's actually talking about the posture of our heart. He actually kind of in the original language uses a little bit of a word play here. Instead of saying store up, he could actually, actually be translated, don't treasure treasures. It's about the treasuring that is happening in our heart. It's about this desire to acquire stuff. That somehow we think the accumulation of stuff is gonna bring joy to our life. That's what Jesus wants to talk to us about. So he's just saying, don't treasure treasures. But what he knows is true about us is that our hearts do treasure. We treasure things. And it has nothing to do with how much we have. You can be a homeless person. And sometimes you even see this. Homeless people will have this handful of possessions that they have that they treasure. They guard with their life. It has nothing to do with how much they have. It's about the treasuring. And that's what Jesus wants to talk to us about, our treasuring. What are you treasuring? And Jesus says what we need to do is we need to treasure the right things. And so he talks about two different kinds of things that we can treasure in this life. One kind of treasure he talks about is the treasure of earth. In the the right side up kingdom, the stuff of this earth. He's talking about money. He's talking about possessions. But he's even talking about more than that. Because our heart's desire to acquire can be more than just money and possessions. It can be power. It can be sex. It can be pleasure. It can be our reputation. It can be our appearance. Inordinately thinking about our appearance and what we look like to the rest of the world. Our health. And what Jesus is saying about all these things, these treasures of earth, he says, Friends, they're fragile. These things are fragile. They're fleeting. They're the kinds of things that can be here today, but gone tomorrow. You can't count on them. 
Just the simple circumstances of life, just the the passage of time, and the evil and brokenness of this world can cause those things to be taken away from our life in a moment's notice. They're fleeting. But he says, don't give your treasuring heart to the treasures of earth. He's saying, give your treasuring heart to the treasures of heaven. But what are the treasures of heaven? Sometimes when we think about heaven, when we hear that, we think about future. We think about what's gonna happen after we die. But throughout the Sermon on the Mount, throughout the Gospels, throughout the Bible, when, the, when we talk about heaven, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about the rule and reign of God here on this earth and forever. Yes, there's gonna be a rule and reign of God where there is no evil that we call heaven in the future, but there's a heaven here now that is breaking in to this earth, God's kingdom of heaven. Just a handful of verses before what I just read to you as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. He says, pray this way, your kingdom come. Bring heaven to earth is what he's saying. Your kingdom come, your will be done, your rule and reign here on earth just like it is in heaven. Let's let heaven break into this world. He says, that's what you should treasure, the breaking in of my kingdom into this world. Because he says, those things, those treasures, they're not the here today, gone tomorrow. He says, those are the things that actually last forever. They don't come and go, they're here forever. What I love about how Jesus teaches us about this, when he says, invest your time and your energy and your money into things that last forever, he gives us a very short list of things that are gonna last forever. We can even remember them. All of us can remember them. God, God is gonna last forever. His word, God's word to us is gonna last forever. And people, people are gonna last forever. They're either gonna last forever with God or apart from God. But those are the things that last forever. So when Jesus is saying, invest your treasuring heart in the treasures of heaven, he's saying, invest in your relationship with me. This vertical relationship with me. Give your life and your time and your resource to pursuing a relationship with me. But it's not just that. There's that vertical component, but there's also that horizontal component. Invest in people. Time, energy, and money in people. And even better yet, invest in people and their relationship with God. Help people that don't know God come to a relationship with God. And help those people that have a relationship with God to grow in that relationship with God. Give your money and resource toward those things because that's what's gonna last forever and nothing else. The stuff here on this earth is not gonna last forever. Jesus says there's two treasures, earth and heaven. But we've got to just step back and ask ourselves the honest question. What am I treasuring? What am I treasuring really? And Jesus says it's actually a pretty easy solution to understand what our heart is treasuring. A phrase that was made popular during the Watergate scandal, follow the money. That's what Jesus would say, follow the money. This is how he said it directly. Reminds you, verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, 
There the desires of your heart, what you're treasuring will also be. He's saying, just, just look at it. Just look at the money. Look at your wallet. Look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card. Where is your money going? But if you want to know what it is that you're actually treasuring, a way that I think he would ask the question is, where does your money flow effortlessly? Where it just feels like, it hardly even feels like spending. I'm so excited to do it. Is it for the things of heaven or is it for the things of, of earth? Where do I give joyless, joyfully? Where am I even willing to give recklessly, extravagantly? He says, those are the things that you're treasuring. It's very tangible and it's concrete. Where's your treasure? What is our heart treasuring? But Jesus goes on to say that if we're gonna be able to invest in the kingdom, things that are gonna last forever, we actually need to be able to see those things. We need to be able to understand what they are so that we can give our time and our energy and our life to those. But he says, you know, it's really easy for us to be blinded. The second question that we've gotta ask, are my eyes blinded? Jesus says, Matthew 6, starting verse 22, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. The second metaphor that Jesus is talking about that he describes and contrasts two different things. He's talking about a sighted person and a blind person and the darkness and the light that they experience respectively. And whenever I used to read this, I used to always just think, Jesus, it seems like you kind of took a left turn somewhere. We were talking about treasure and we're talking about money. We're talking about possessions and our treasuring. And now suddenly you're talking about eyes and blindness. What are you trying to say? What we need to understand is that in Jewish literature, there is a strong connection between the eye and the heart. There's different ways that this can be translated. What we just read, it talked about it being a healthy eye versus an unhealthy eye. We can talk about this being a good eye versus an evil eye. A generous eye versus a stingy eye. The economics comes back in at that point. Or you can translate a single focused eye versus an eye that is divided in two different places. Jesus says, it's what we focus on that determines what happens in our heart. He said, you need to have a good eye, a single focused eye that will create a generous eye in us. What is our heart and eyes and life focused on? Because that's going to determine what happens in our heart. And whatever it is that our eyes are fixed on, friends, that's what we're going to move toward in life. He said, you've got to fix your eyes. If you want to have a good eye and a generous eye, you've got to fix your eye. As I was thinking about this, it kind of reminded me of what it's like when I drive my car. And I don't say this proudly at all, but I'm kind of one of those guys that as he's driving around, he's kind of like looking all over the place, you know? And then, I mean, there's animals to be seen here in Montana. You got to look and see animals out there. But here's what I notice. When there's something off the road that I see and I fix my gaze on it, 
It doesn't take very long before I start hearing rumble strips. Because here's what happens. When I start to focus on something, my life, my car starts to move toward it. Whatever it is that my eye is focused on, my car starts to move toward that as well. That's why we have all these conversations about distracted driving. Jesus is wanting us to have a conversation here about distracted living. He's saying it's whatever our eyes are focused on, that is what our life is naturally gonna move toward. Are we moving toward, are we focused on the right things? And he's saying it's so easy to be blind. It is so easy to be distracted. That's why in Luke 12, 15, Jesus would say, beware, beware, look out, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Here's the thing about greed. Here's the thing about taking our eye off things that matter. It is so subtle. It finds its way into our life so easily and we don't even see it coming. A lot of the other things that Jesus has been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, I think can be a little bit more obvious to us. Anger. You just, you just kind of know when you're angry at someone. Hatred toward an enemy. You, you just kind of know when you're harboring hatred toward your enemy. Adultery. You don't just kind of like slip into that suddenly. It doesn't just sneak in to your life. It's not like, oh wow, you're not my wife. Murder. We know when we're moving toward those things, but greed is not like that. It is so subtle. Why? What makes greed so subtle to us? I want to share some things, some thoughts that I realize are probably overgeneralizations, but I think they are true in general. That's why I call it generalizations. I think you'll agree with me. Nobody or hardly anybody in this room feels like you're rich. Like if I were to ask people to raise their hand, do you feel rich? I'm not asking you to do that. Most people would not raise their hand. And here's what's true. is because we live in a world where there's just this huge spectrum of wealth and possessions that people have. We always know people that have more stuff than us, more money than us. And we look at them and we think, those people are rich. I don't, I'm not rich, so therefore I'm not greedy. It's people that have lots of stuff that have the potential for greed. We don't see ourselves as having the potential for greed. But friends, we've got to just, even if we could do this for a second, just to step back and think about the world as a whole. Almost half of the world, about three billion people, live on less than $2 a day. Friends, I don't care who you are in this room. You are rich. We have a lot, but when we don't feel like we're rich, we don't think that greed is something that we even have to think about or talk about. I think about as a pastor, so many times people will share with you things that they're struggling with in their own life. I was trying to think about it. Has anyone ever said, my biggest problem in life, I'm just greedy. I just want stuff. It just doesn't, we don't see that in ourselves. It's easier to see it in others, but not in ourselves. 
And here's another reason that I think greed can be so subtle for us, is that for most people, we have very little margin in our life between our income and our expenses. It's not like we've got this huge delta here of all these things that we could give money toward, that we've got to make financial decisions about. For most people, our income and our expenses match one another. But here's how that happens. It's not like our income goes way up and then we just make a huge greedy decision to change our lifestyle. What it is is that our income sometimes just goes up a little bit at a time, but we just incrementally make little subtle decisions. Something, I'm gonna buy something a little bit more expensive. Something a little bit more nicer. I'm gonna acquire just a little bit more. It's not huge greedy decisions. But we find ourselves at this place where we've got no margin to really even think about, would I want to be generous? Can I be generous? And because that doesn't even feel like it exists for us, we never actually start to ask the questions, the hard questions, before God and before other people. Am I generous? Am I generous with the things that God has given to me? Am I spending too much? How much is enough? Do I have too much stuff? We don't ask those questions because greed and materialism, it's just so subtle. It just sneaks in, so it makes it really, really easy for us to be blinded to these things. We just don't see it. But Jesus asks a third question, gives us a third metaphor, and the question is this, Who is my master? Who is my master? Verse 24, Jesus says it so plainly, we can't miss it. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I think as I read that, it's just the words that jump off the page to me is no one can. You cannot. Sometimes I think we think, you know, I I could probably balance it. I could probably figure out how to do that. I can figure out how to have both treasures in my life. Jesus says it's not a balancing act. You cannot do it. The metaphor that Jesus uses here is one of slavery. We don't think about that a lot. He's not talking about an employer. You can have a couple of different employers in life, but you can't be owned or belong to two different things. It's one or the other. You're either owned or belong to God and the values of his kingdom, or you're owned and belong to the stuff of this earth. He says, no one can do it. But something in us says, I think I could do it was reflecting a little bit. I don't know if you saw this last week, the Powerball jackpot. $1.6 billion with a B, billion. It's more than I make in a month. <laughs> Someone won that. But it started me thinking about those news stories that I've heard over the years where people that win those massive amounts of money Almost invariably, it destroys their lives. Whereas you talk with them and they talk about all the things that happened to them, when they reflect back on it, 
Most of them actually say, I wish I hadn't won. And you know what I think when I hear those people saying those things? I think, I could do it. <laughs> I could figure out how to do it. I would, I would do it in the right way. I was actually thinking about this this week, like, 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 God, I think I could do that and all these things that I could do. I don't know exactly what God was thinking, but I just kind of pictured him shaking his head and laughing. Like, Bob, you struggle. You're on the struggle bus regularly just trying to navigate what you're doing with what little I've given you. You think you can handle 1.6 billion? I just thought, you know, I think I could do it. He says, no, he doesn't think that I can. So I don't think I'm gonna win. But what Jesus wants us to know is we simply cannot. No one can have two ultimate goals in life. You can't have two different points of reference for your life. One master or the other. And this is what was actually really convicting to me, but also kind of inspiring. As I started to think about it and reflect on some of those people that followed Jesus, that really got this right they actually treasured real treasure. Their eyes weren't blinded by the things of this earth. And they knew who their master was and said, I'm following him above everything else. I was thinking about Zacchaeus. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? He was this tax collector that had gotten rich in his life by bilking people for their money. Here's what it says happened to Zacchaeus when salvation came to his house. You know what his response was? He said, I want to give half of everything that I have to the poor. And if I've done anything to defraud anybody, I want to give them back four times what I stole from him. This incredible response of generosity because he was treasuring something different than money. The kingdom came to his life. I think about that sweet woman that got on her knees at the feet of Jesus and she had an alabaster bar, jar of perfume made of pure nard. Her biggest, maybe only possession. This was likely her dowry, her inheritance. And what did she do when she was at the feet of Jesus? She broke it open and she anointed Jesus with everything that she had. Oh, of course, there were the people that were standing around looking at this saying, that is such a waste. But for her, it made perfect sense because she was treasuring real treasure. Treasuring Jesus led to a heart of worship of him that was extravagant in her generosity. I think about the story that Jesus told about this widow that had just a couple of pennies. That's all she had in the world but because she wasn't treasuring the stuff of this world, she gave even those away. Extravagance. I think about those earliest followers of Jesus when we read in the book of Acts. As they were living as a community of people, living as a spiritual family together. People that had stuff, they sold their houses, they sold their land, and they brought the money so that everybody's needs were met. Absolutely extravagant because they saw the kingdom. They were treasuring something that wasn't of this earth. It was something other than this earth. Incredible, extravagant generosity. 
when we treasure the right things, when we're not blinded, when we have the right master, generosity is what flows from our life. And this is what I love about those examples. Jesus didn't leverage guilt, shame, or duty to get them to do that. Something happened in them. It was something that flowed out of their heart. He never commanded them to do it. He never asked them to do it. It's just what flowed out of their heart. It was a response of love and trust and worship. And when I look at those examples of extreme generosity that Jesus gives us in the Bible, I realize it is so true. He is not trying to grab our money. Friends, he doesn't care about our money, but he is relentless relentless friends to keep our money from grabbing us it's us that he wants it's our heart that he wants but he knows that our money can be a barrier to that so what's the application that jesus would want from us so i'm just gonna say okay now everybody just write big checks i don't think so I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to do as a spiritual family. I think it's got to go deeper than that. It's got to be more thoughtful and it's got to be more intentional than that. Otherwise, it may not deal with our heart. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to deal with our heart. There's three commitments I wanna ask you to make. We grow when we make commitments. The first commitment that I want you to make is, will you have a commitment to honesty? Will you just be honest with God and honest with people about what is going on in your heart as it relates to your possessions? Again, it's that idea, let's live our lives with the roof off and the walls down. Let's just talk honestly about what is happening inside of us. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, but let's just talk honestly. What is in there? What are we treasuring? Follow the money. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. And this is going to be really uncomfortable for some people. This commitment to honesty, would you talk about issues related to finances with a friend? Would you talk about it with someone else? Would you let someone else into your financial world and start to ask some hard questions? If you have a spouse, talk about this together. What is our joint heart as it relates to our generosity? What is it that we're treasuring And by all means, if you've got kids, invite them into this conversation. Where else are they gonna learn how to think about the stuff of this earth? Invite them into that conversation. But ask the question, what are we treasuring? Ask the hard questions. Am I generous? Are we generous as a family? Are we spending too much? Do we have too much stuff? Maybe the ultimate question is, how much is enough? Where do we draw the line and say anything over that? We want to give it away. How much is enough? And if you start asking those questions with God and with others, what I believe is going to be true is that God's spirit is going to start nudging us to make some decisions, to make some changes in our life. And that leads to the second commitment that I want you to make. Could you make a commitment to start moving toward simplicity? Let the honesty move to simplicity. How can we change the way we live, change the way we think to create more margin in our life to give, to give to things that matter for the kingdom? 
I described earlier that so often our income and our expenses, they just follow one another because we make a lot of little incremental decisions over time that cause that to be true. We didn't get here overnight and we're not gonna unget here overnight either. But can we start to make a handful of simplicity type decisions that cause there to be a little bit of margin? Is there a place that we can simplify our life? Something that we can say no to. Maybe it's just a small thing, but it creates a little bit of margin that gives us the opportunity to be generous in some way. Make a decision like that, even if it's small, but make it intentionally. And then do it again. And do it again. And do it again. Allow there to become more and more margin in the things that you have in life that give you the opportunity to be generous. Change the way you live. I like what Tim Keller said. Actually, I don't really like what he said at all because it was really convicting. But he said, if your generosity doesn't change the way you live, it's not the kind of generosity that the Bible talks about. That was just convicting to me. I've got to make decisions to change my life, to simplify my life. I just want to say my conversation that I had with my wife around this, it was awesome. It was freeing to begin to think about what are places where we can simplify our lives to create more opportunity for generosity. Because that's the steps I think we need to take as a church family. First of all, if we're not willing to pursue honesty, we're not going to go anywhere. But that honesty has got to lead to simplicity. We've got to start making some changes in how we live to create opportunity for ultimately generosity. Honesty, simplicity leads to generosity, but generosity with purpose because we know why we're doing what we're doing. Not guilt, not shame, not duty, but love and trust and worship of God. Treasuring things that we ought to treasure. And friends, Jesus, he's the ultimate example of this. That's why we follow him. We follow his example He had treasure. He had everything. He was in heaven. The comfort and the treasures of heaven. But you know what he chose to do? He chose to push it all aside. And he came to earth. Not as someone who was wealthy, but as someone who was poor, who had no place to lay his head. But the reason that he came to earth is because his heart was treasuring. He had a treasure that he wanted. In his heart was a desire to acquire. What was it that he wanted to acquire? It was you. It was me. It was why he was willing to say, I'm gonna step down into the, I'm gonna die a death that I didn't deserve to die. I'm gonna live the life that everybody else deserved to live and didn't and I'm gonna do it because I have a desire to acquire a treasure and the treasure was us. Friends, it's that what needs to move us to change the way we live and to think about being generous for the sake of the kingdom is because we follow a king who showed us what generosity looks like. He laid down everything because he had a treasure. This is how the scripture says it. This is how Peter described it in 1 Peter 2, talking about God's people. He said, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. 
That word could be translated treasure. You are his treasure. Let that move us to treasure the right things in life. As we wrap up this sermon, I wanna wrap up in the same way that Jesus wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount. He just said to everyone, the wise person, the wise person is the one who hears my words, that hears what I have to say about money and possessions, and then does what? Puts it into practice. Hear his words and put it into practice. That's what we wanna do every week, every day that we read his scriptures. Jesus, what are you saying to me? What is it that you want me to do about it? I wanna create some space for you right now to ask that question. Honestly, Jesus, what are you saying to me about honesty, simplicity, and generosity? And what is it that you want me to do about it? Let's listen to him together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us so much that you're willing to say the challenging things to us because you don't want anything in our heart or in our life to keep us from experiencing you fully. Jesus, would you continue to speak into our hearts and our lives? Jesus, would you give us the courage to be honest with you about what are the things in our life that we're treasuring? Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in and around our hearts and give us thoughts and ideas on what we can do to just simply simplify our lives, create margin to be generous for your kingdom. Jesus, you are the ultimate model of generosity and we wanna follow you into your generosity. Thank you for being generous to us. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. And it's in your powerful and risen name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.